0: Well, I think it's important to get the the cart and the horse right on this whole technology thing. And not that you're getting it backwards yourself, but a lot of times I hear in discussions of technology, people talk as though technology is doing something to us. I feel like I need to remind people that technology is It's innocent until man. it's It's like a hammer or a screwdriver, right? And so a lot of times I feel as though our discussions about fearing technology are really veiled discussions about fearing ourselves.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the StrongCast and boy let me tell you the Strong Cast is going to be strong today. We're talking about technology all over the place. We had to go all the way to the west coast to find what we consider to be the best and the brightest. Now John Long would there; he lives in New York, but he spends a lot of time on the west coast. But Sean Kearns is a California guy, San Francisco to be exact. You know everybody talks about Simile Valley, all the geniuses are developed. Uh, on the west coast but hey we got a few on the east coast too we're going to talk about technology as it's never been spoken about before and what about those chinese who clone those twins where he said all of his own his own we're going to talk about that and much more on this edition of the strongcast with your host armstrong williams wgla abc7 studios in our nation's capital of washington dc one of the best places in the world about to become a technological boom, with the fact that Amazon selected our fair city, along with a place you heard of in New York, as their sites for their next boom expansion. So we're glad that, no matter what the naysayers and the critics may say, when you're creating jobs and opportunities, and you're bringing intellectual capital to the marketplace, we should always welcome that. And I have two intellectual technological giants joining us today. We have a little fun with technology. You know how we roll there. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about because I don't really know. But anyhow, Sean Kearns is no stranger to um, the platform. Hails from San Francisco. Larka used to do his you know, guy with StubRack. StubHub. Yep. StubHub. Off the rack. Beyond the rack. Beyond the rack. Yep. Sometimes I like to be off the rack instead of beyond the rack. And of course, John Long with um, Quake.com joining us for the first time. John, welcome to The Strong Cast be here. I'm gonna ask you both some challenging questions. I like that. I'm gonna go into my professor Sorio role. When you read about everything that you've read about in science, because you're a scientist, you're a neuroscientist, supposedly one of the best in this country, oh, and all the things that you've read, what is it that's not explained, that you question? that you could almost complete the process if you could. I'm sure there are things that you've learned in science that just doesn't make sense, that doesn't always add up. Mm-hmm. Talk about that aspect of science. And what happens when you get to that place in science?
0: Well, there's a lot of ways you can take that. First of all, thanks for having us here and, and, uh, and your kind introduction. Uh, not the best neuroscientist in the world, but uh, trying. Um, so there's ways to look at it. You think science in general or the field of neuroscience in particular? or Science the- in general. Uh, gosh, I think, I think what uh, I would say, and I think of this from the context of the mentorship I've done, is um, appreciating the work required to do it, that science is a process of asking questions and digging in through data, through experiments, trying to get answers, and realizing that while the expectation is there that we get a clean answer to everything, science is a process of digging in and trying again and again, it can take months, years, just to even get an experiment where you get usable data. And even then, more often than not, the results that come out of that don't necessarily follow your question, so you have to adapt your question and move on. And I think, if I were to speak to the larger context of society, I think that iterative process, which I think is the fundamental value of truth-seeking in science, gets lost because we're used to thinking of science as just question, answer, question, answer. And it doesn't do justice to the blood, sweat, and tears of the, the process of science and trying to find even any useful information from nature which very deeply hides its secrets.
1: Well, it will explain these two dichotomies of science. Sometimes science can happen so quickly, and sometimes it never happens.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I think there's a lot of different ways to look at that, but I think the most meaningful one is whether or not it's a controlled system. So, for example, technology development, right? So we have seen incredible growth. Most notably, uh, let's take Moore's Law, right? IBM engineer, totally observational uh, uh, account that became a theorem saying that, oh, we expect every 18 months to be able to pack twice as many transistors in a computer, and we saw that. That became Moore's Law. But then a lot of, uh, say, designer medicine, uh, certain types of biocompatible prosthetics, those have seen much more incremental gains, and that's mainly because when you have phenomena that are not controlled by us, not designed by us, but you have to get into the flesh and bone of nature, things go a lot slower, as much as medicine has made incredible advances.
1: So so Sean, let me let me turn to you. Um, Sean and his wife Chris have found that Larker. We'll get more into their both I guess bios a little later into the strong cast. What do you think technology has made its greatest miscalculation? The price that has been paid for it, and if you could go back in time and think about the advancement and the trajectory of technology, what would you tweak and why?
2: Sure. So uh, I'm sure there's a, a, you know, a myriad of, uh, of events through history that you can point at. Uh, things like uh, the introduction of the atomic bomb, for example, um, but you know, in reality, I- at least the way I look at, at the world, uh, those were in many ways singular events. Uh, that affected the the world for moments and then through you know ripples through history um, today I think we 're dealing with things that will have a much longer lasting or, or potentially larger impact on society, things like automation uh, that 's changing the way we think about jobs, uh, things like distributing workforces, um, things like uh, uh, you know sort of elimination of jobs through uh, robotics, right? So uh, so I don't know yet that that miscalculation has occurred, but I think we're kind of at a, a really critical time to figure out what's next.
1: Does it surprise you how the very definition of technology continues to evolve?
2: Yeah, so uh, uh, it doesn't surprise me, right? Um, Technology has always been the application of science, and as new science is, uh, uh, you know, sort of found, discovered, uh, uh, technology is naturally going to change. Our ability to affect the world around us, to affect society, is going to continue to evolve, Um, but for me, technology has always been that application of science, and, and uh, our job is always to look to the work that's being done by those scientists and apply it to society.
1: What has surprised you, being a technical guy yourself, about technology itself and the men that continue to, to um, evolve this beast to make our way of life better, but also bring us to this thing that we call the end?
2: Um, sure, so uh, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade um, And I was given a school assignment to go and... and interview somebody that I looked up to. Um, And uh, I interviewed an astrophysicist. Um, And what I found really interesting about the conversation uh, is that he told me early on in the conversation that there was always going to be things that he would never understand, Uh, there was always going to be things that as humans we would never understand, and he chose to. uh, as he rose in his profession, he chose to become more and more religious um, so uh, you know I found that to be a really kind of interesting observation and something i 've always kind of kept with me is uh, you know that that idea that no matter how much education we have, no matter how much research we 've done there 's always going to be the unexplainable um, and for him, it was turning to religion for others, it may be other things but uh, but that 's always always been something that I've both found inspiring and surprising. So John, I was, um, you know,
1: as a broadcast owner and someone who hosts shows and programming all around the world, the most um, uh, interesting thing that has happened, I would say over the last several weeks, is what has consistently come into my inbox that has really frightened the bejesus out of people and really scared them. And they've asked me, How do you explain this? Uh, How are we to take this? I never really answered them and I'm glad I didn't because I'm gonna send them a clip of this show because you're gonna answer it for us. There's a story in China where identical twins were cloned. And the reaction to this from people who don't even consider themselves religious has been very, I have not found anyone who found comfort in this latest um, because their assumption is, we're not to allow this. How is it the Chinese were to do something like this, and what is next? It would, it's very interesting to hear your perspective on this latest.
0: Yeah, I know the, the, the story you're speaking of, and in fact, the, it was a pregnant woman who was on track to have identical twins, but what they did, or what they claimed to have done, and I'll explain the claim part in a moment, was to have, uh, using a gene editing tool called CRISPR, which has been used extensively in animal models, flies, rodents, uh, I don't recall if it's gone all the way up to, say, primates. But this uh, Chinese uh, geneticist doctor claims to have edited the genome of the twins to confer upon them uh, resistance to HIV. So it's known that certain people in society are more resistant to HIV. It's been genetically identified what the target on that is. And this scientist claims to have edited in utero The genes of these twins who are now claimed to be born with this HIV resistance. The reason I say claimed is because this work was not published in in an academic journal. The data behind this was not released. So really at this point all we have, and they might have done it, but all they have is the claim of of uh, this particular scientist that they've done it. Now the line that has been crossed there is that uh, it's generally been accepted at this time within the scientific community that while this CRISPR gene editing technology is viable, it works. You can put different genes into different organisms seamlessly. Now, it's quite incredible. It's one of the major revolutions in in science in the last 10 years. Uh, But there was a kind of an agreement not to translate this technology, at least not initially, into humans. Some people are starting to use it to edit, say, deleterious genes, say, Tisax. Uh, syndrome out of Ashkenazi Jewish populations. Um, This though in China was the first case of using it to actually confer a benefit as opposed to eliminate a a deteriorate gene. So that's the the scary part, right? Because it leads to that kind of classic 90s movie Gattaca, given my age here, from the uh, the 90s where people are basically using genetics to augment the children of the wealthy who can afford these treatments. And then creating further class separation, you leave disease for the poor, and you eliminate it for the people of
2: means. Your comment? Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it comes down to a question of just because we can do it, should we do it? Um, and uh, uh, you know, I, I put aside a lot of the the agreements, the legal aspects of it. Um, you know, even the shortcomings of the technology. Uh, And there are quite a few cases where CRISPR is used uh, in such a way that it has undesirable side effects. Um, You know, and and simply ask the question, you know, should we be doing this, right? Is this something that uh, as a species, as a society, we want to be doing and, and we should be doing?
1: How do you think, when you think about what, obviously, if this is happening, there's so much more that has happened that we are unaware of. And it would not even surprise me that the Chinese government, I would, find, I would be hard-pressed to believe that, they are unaware of this. But they've also talked about creating the perfect soldiers to fight wars. Um, so it lessens human casualty. So when you think about something like um, the, creating um, these twins, from the cloning, where else could this lead? And and it's just a peek into the future, not where we're headed, it's just where we are. And we're just, what we're doing now is leaking this information out, you know how it works, to condition the public, get the reaction, get all the anger out, just like other things that had happened ages ago, even with the hydrogen bomb, when we first talking about creating a bomb like that and how people, this was just they were outraged, until um, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. You wait for the right event, and the right event will bring people to where you want them to be with this kind of technology and everything will be okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think it's important to get the, the cart and the horse right on this whole technology thing. And not that you're uh, getting it backwards yourself, but a lot of times I hear in discussions of technology, people talk as though technology is doing something to us. And I, I feel like I need to remind people no, no, that we're technology is yeah. It's innocent until man. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a hammer or a screwdriver, right? And so a lot of times I feel as though our discussions about fearing technology, are really veiled discussions about fearing ourselves?
1: Well, we should fear ourselves. Yeah, I think that's a fair argument. That's what the whole point <laughs> is. Yeah. And these these human soldiers, and how war would be fought in the future.
2: Yeah, and it comes back to that that uh, point from earlier, right? There's a lot of things we can do. The question is, should we? Right? Should we be making bigger, stronger, faster soldiers? Should we? Uh, Right the benefit is potentially ending wars faster the the downside is that we're changing uh, The type of warfare that's being you know conducted on earth Um, now. That's happened before right Um, uh, You know, I'm always surprised when when uh, uh, I Have a conversation with somebody that maybe was in World War two for example, right and and uh, uh, you know they look at the types of casualties that occurred during those wars and you know, it, it was often face-to-face, right? You had to look at the person that, uh, that you were engaging in. Um, the world has changed. What, what happens as we start building, you know, whether it's, it's uh, bigger, stronger, faster humans, whether it's robotics, uh, you know, you name it.
1: So what I'm going to do, like I said, we're doing something a little different because you're our scientist today and you're our tech guy. So I, I want you to ask a question of Sean and his world. And you're going to do vice versa. Sure.
0: All right. Yes, and. Okay. Um, let's see. Since you're in tech, but I do a lot of computer programming myself, I mentioned. That's a lot of the domain that you're in. Uh, I guess one question that I have is, uh, okay, you mentioned automation, automation and replacement of labor. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody sees it coming. It's already happening. It's been on factory floors for a
2: generation. And now people are getting concerned more because it's out of factories. Sure. Think it's a good, bad, or inevitable thing? Um, So I think it's inevitable. Uh, Good or bad, I I think, is, uh, you know, up for interpretation. But I always look back to uh, history, right? This isn't the first technological revolution that we've had as a, you know, as a species. Um, You look back to the Industrial Revolution, uh, where, uh, you know, massive number of jobs were lost to things as simple as the weaving loom, right, Mm -hmm. which at the time were, were you know, really impactful on our society. Um, now, what I find interesting about those those previous events is, in most cases, they led to um, what I kind of refer to as the artisan revolutions, right? Where uh, it created this expanded, for lack of a better way of putting it, unemployable class, um, and typically those were the people that were best with their hands. Um, so, uh, so I'm also very interested to see what happens here, right? What happens when uh, self-driving cars and and self-driving trucks change the landscape of transportation in America. um, Does that mean that people now have more time available to be more creative?
0: So I guess the question then comes to, uh, if I might refine it then, because I'm familiar with that argument. It's like every time a new technological innovation comes in, humans find things to do with themselves. Mm -hmm. Alternatively. Do you think that's an infinite well of human creativity? Or, because it feels like a lot of times the concern people have, is that humans are going to run out of work to create for themselves and will generate a whole idle class. Sure, sure. Which, you know, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad.
2: Yeah, I mean, going back to the historical argument, you know, over thousands of years now, right, uh, potentially, you know, tens of thousands, uh, humans have been finding ways to make work easier, right, and as work becomes easier. Uh, there's two possibilities. Either they continue to work as many hours but accomplish more, Creativity. Um, uh, or uh, it creates more free time. And and as as you're probably aware, you know, people work far less today than they did hundreds of years ago, right? Um, uh, for example, farmers woke up at the you know crack of dawn, worked until the sun went down. We don't we don't operate that way anymore. Um, so. Uh, I have to believe that it is possible to continue uh, to uh, provide people with the tools that they need to survive and thrive uh, on this planet uh, and and free up time for them to do other things. Maybe it's explore space. Maybe it's explore the oceans. Maybe it's develop new technologies. Maybe it's write new books or new great pieces of art. Um, But I, I don't believe that there's any limit to human creativity. Your question to John. Um, yeah, so uh, being a neuroscientist, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the key challenges uh, that you believe uh, you know, recent breakthroughs or upcoming breakthroughs are going to change when it comes to uh, you know, quality of life and human longe- uh, longevity?
0: Oh, as it relates to neuroscience? I mean, I think there are some... Uh, major challenges that have to be addressed to really advance the science. There's been some really interesting genetic tools that allow us to dissect the heterogeneous cellular populations of the brain. You know, what used to be kind of undifferentiated massive cells we're getting cellular resolution to be able to stimulate them to try to understand how causation works in the brain, as difficult as that is since there's so many feedback loops. But actually the area that I'm most interested in, having done so much work over my career in recording from the brain, is in flexible electronics. Right? Currently, there's a major impedance problem. The devices that are used to record, particularly deep structures in the brain, where you have to go into the nervous tissue, are made out of metals. You know, and in the analogy I always say it's like you make a bowl of Jello and stick a fork in it, and then walk around the room. And what does it look like around the fork? Mm. It's a mess, right? But with the new kind of flexible polymer electronics, the idea is hopefully that we can get electronics in the brain that allow us to record from the different cells, coupled with genetic techniques where we can identify the different cellular types in a way that doesn't damage the tissue massively in the brain. And I feel like that's kind of a necessary, if not sufficient, uh, uh, condition for us really advancing neuroscience and understanding how the brain works.
2: <clears throat> Very interesting. Follow-up. Um, yeah, so where would you go with that? Let's assume that these, uh, these tools are widely available. What, what does that enable?
0: Yeah, so, um, I mean, there's obviously the medical direction of understanding the physiology of of mental disease, which then is the potential for getting insights into how to alleviate it. Um, There's also the ability to, say, somebody who has had damage to their biological machinery, lost a limb, spinal cord damage to restore that by blending artificial and human uh, tissue, natural biological tissue. And then there are people that are interested in, uh, I don't necessarily share this, but just to kind of give the field of ideas, they're interested in ideas of transhumanism, actually, using these technologies to augment uh, human abilities, which is like your earlier point, uh, Armstrong, is uh, with gene editing, I mean, that's probably going to happen faster than like uh, biocompatible cyborg-like elements of the human gene editing. That pretty much works now.
1: Yes, very... It's it's a very dangerous territory. It's a lot of unknown. But it doesn't seem to frighten you.
2: It's what humans do.
1: Is is it what they do, Shar?
2: I think so. right? I think uh, part of, uh, I can speak for myself at least, right? Part of who I am is to be curious about uh, those things that I don't understand. Uh, And when I do understand them, or when guys like this figure it out, then it's to find Applications that allow us to advance society. Um, you know, I I do I agree that uh, it's what we do. You gotta
1: ask
0: yourself though, do you think the good guys are winning or the bad guys are winning? You know, if you believe.
1: Why don't we them. look at our history over the last fifteen years and answer that? Yeah. Who's winning?
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think I think the jury. you think is
1: you think it's a, a dead heat? A tie? Well, because I mean, even if it's a tie, that means humans are losing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it depends on the challenge, right? I mean, I, particular, uh, in, I tend to think that um, some of the challenges and strain we've put on the environment through industrial practices and human waste and consumption kind of poses a unique challenge to humanity because to address it requires a level of organization that humans, if you look at history, haven't really realized before, right? You know, humans seem to work best when they can use technologies and arrive at solutions at small scales. Because trust groups fall off very quickly. If you have, a, if humans create a problem for themselves in their world that requires a massive transnational level of organization, we're just not very good at that because we're too isolated and paranoid.
1: Yeah, I, I think what concerns me listening to this conversation is as if I'm listening to a latest marvel, the Avengers, where through all this technology and advancement um, through the universe, we set out on a destructive course i I think human beings like seeing destructiveness they like to see the fires the killings as long as they know the outcome is going to be okay at the end i think they see the world as a movie and even though movies are just uh it's not necessarily um, a fantasy but i think a lot of things that you see in the movie it's almost as if you're discussing those things that come into a home uh, to a building Uh, to a state near you very soon. I I think it's very difficult for people to separate the two. But I do think there is, you know, when I'm flying, I think about this, you know, I was flying back from Dallas and when we reached the highest altitude, I said to myself, oh my God, man is so constructive, so wonderful, such a genius. And then I had this quick reflex, but man is equally destructive uh, also. And people like destruction. They lack chaos.
0: But a lot of people don't. But you they know, do. But the, what
1: about those that do?
0: Well, you know, let's hope they don't get their hand on the really big red
1: button. More than just the red button. You
0: know, I mean, it, that's where you're either an optimist or a pessimist.
1: It's not that. It's, I don't know if whether it's either. I just asked this question, um, Sean, how much do we trust these people that's creating this technology? and this new science that they're introducing before they decide they just want to test it in the most diminutive and evil ways as possible. Because they can. Sure,
2: sure. Um, So I would question whether or not uh, they can, right? So uh, in some cases, that may be true. In other cases, um, for example, the scientist in China, uh, who most of what I've read uh, at least implies that he was operating alone, They're never alone. So that's that's exactly where I was. That was exactly where I was going with it, right? Which is, which is, um, I generally believe that that people are never alone, right? And the question becomes, well, uh, you know, can we trust those who are, uh, you know, behind the scenes influencing those decisions? And how much Um, can we regulate it? Uh, yeah, and that that applies to a lot of both. times the people who look to regulate it though a lot of times pervert it towards their own means though. And then
1: there's that.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean it's the human
0: it's the human tragedy and triumph.
1: So, but we just have to trust as we've always going forward. We just got to trust the process. And, and it's not
0: just the scientists; the process is all of us.
1: Right? Yes, this is true. Yeah. Your, your final thoughts, Charlie? Yeah,
2: I was going to say, uh, uh, you know, that's where we we need to be involved, right? Because uh, and not we by us, but we, you know, the, the citizens of this planet need to be involved in these decisions because at the end of the day, people can be corrupted, right? Um, and that applies to our own government as well as governments of other countries. Um, you know, so, uh, so that's where I would just urge people to, you know, elect officials that they believe have their best interests in, in mind, uh, you know, stand up people who can make good decisions around regulating, uh, regulating these tools. Um, and while I'm not somebody that loves regulation, uh, I do believe that it is necessary to ensure that we're using you know science in in ways that are supported by by society at large. John
0: yeah, I mean, I guess I would leave with the kind of a final thought that I think of a lot myself. Um, it's kind of twofold one uh, granting that we create technology, what is it turning us into and then? primary to that is the question of why do we make all this technology? What is it? As much as we're talking about innate goodness or badness in people, there's also, I think, equally innate desire for technique, for creation, for making things. That's kind of in the backdrop of all of this. It's like, why do we keep taking material around us and warping it and bending it and making things? Sometimes solving problems, but there's a fundamental orientation we have towards reality, ourselves, and the world that manifests as us creating things. Why do we do it?
1: Because we can. Tell our audience a little about yourself and how they can get more information on you, Professor Long.
0: Oh, well, first of all, I'm not a professor because I'm not associated with the well, university. Well, you're my
1: professor today. <laughs> he take, he take guys a piece of work. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I'm the, I'm the head of technology at Quake Technologies, uh, where we bring together augmented reality and computer vision to try to create technology that aids, uh, in this case, a lot of times first responders in high-stress environments so they can do their job safely and hopefully uh,
2: help their communities. Sean? Sure. Great, uh, I am the co-founder and CEO of Larker, on-demand uh, behavioral healthcare. Uh, we focus on making uh, behavioral, uh, mental, uh, and, and wow, my brain's not working today, uh, uh, healthcare available to the masses via mobile devices. Um, and uh, just a quick uh, uh, update, we just launched on Android today. Uh, we've been available for some time on iOS.
1: Thank you for watching this edition of Strong Cats with your host Armstrong Williams. What a calming and dialogue. I mean, very, very. I can only imagine the kind of feedback you're gonna get.